When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. When it comes to Russia's war aims, Russia is failing. Ukraine is succeeding. It has already lost a lot of military capability. One of their most acute needs is for artillery. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. I will work every single day to make sure that Stacey Abrams is never your governor or your next president. I'm proud to have President Trump's endorsement. We will get this done. We will win. He's a fearless MAGA fighter. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. They're back in the bubble. Lawmakers returning to town just in time for Elon Musk to take over Twitter. You can't write it better than this. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the White House gives its first reaction to the Twitter story invoking Section 230 and facing a long to-do list as lawmakers return in a closing window of opportunity on Capitol Hill. We'll talk about it all with Greg Valliere, chief policy strategist at AGF Investments. The State Department says Ukraine has been even harder on the Russian military than first reported. Imagine. We'll discuss it later with Brett Bruin of the Global Situation Room after a weekend that saw the secretaries of state and defense on the ground in Kiev. Our signature panel is in place. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. And the Twitter story is resonating here in Washington as well, where there's, of course, for months been an active conversation for years, really, about everything from antitrust to censorship to the mental well-being of our children. Now you add the big takeover by Elon Musk. It's top of mind, and you know it's going to come up in the White House briefing. It did today. Here's how Press Secretary Jen Psaki delivered the administration's response. I'm not going to comment on a specific transaction. Uh, what I can tell you as a general matter, no matter who owns or runs uh, Twitter, uh, the president has long been concerned about the power of large social media platforms, uh, what they ha- the power they have over our everyday lives, has long argued that tech platforms must be held accountable for the harms they cause. Uh, he's been a strong supporter of fundamental re- reforms to achieve that goal, including reforms to Section 230, enacting antitrust reforms, requiring more transparency, and more. And he He's encouraged uh, that uh, there's bipartisan interest in Congress. Remembering this White House has had a strained relationship with Elon Musk right after choosing not to invite him to any number of events about electric cars. They've had a lot of them featuring Ford, featuring GM and others. Some have said it's because Tesla doesn't use union labor, although the White House has never said that. And of course, we saw a picture of, you know, Marty Walsh wearing cowboy boots hanging out there at the big plant in Texas with Elon Musk. Still, a loaded response uh, from the White House, though, How, referring to the harms language that Jen Psaki just used, the harms that tech platforms cause. 
referring presumably to social media, even invoking Section 230, may as well go right for it, grab the the third rail, and the deal is technically not even done. We have questions for Greg Valliere, as always, whose note this morning was strikingly optimistic, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Greg, welcome back. Are, are you more or less likely to use Twitter once it's owned by Elon Musk? Mm, probably about the same. I mean, this this will divide Washington, Joe, no question. On the left, there's a feeling that he could enable uh, hate, hate uh, emails, hate tweets. And on mm-hmm. the right, I think there's a feeling that censorship uh, could be an issue, as it was with Donald Trump. Yeah. So I- anything that involves Donald Trump and, and Musk and both parties, you know, is going to be controversial. Well, absolutely. By the way, Trump said today on Fox that he's not going back to Twitter anyway, even if he's invited, which I thought was kind of, you know, he's got his own, uh, what is it, uh, Truth Social or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he, he can say that, Joe, but if he had a chance to go back. You don't buy it? He'd, he'd be crazy not to go back. I mean, I the amount we've... of publicity he generate would be just too great. If he's going to run in 2024, it would be a big plus. How about invoking Section 230 and antitrust? Both of these have been kind of hanging out there. Uh, They drag the CEOs of these companies to Washington to testify. Nobody has really pulled the trigger, despite a lot of legislation uh, that's been filed. Does this type of headline uh, maybe push lawmakers into this direction? To your point, it's a bipartisan desire to do something. It's just that Democrats and Republicans want to do it for different reasons. Exactly. So I, I think that it's not out of the question that you'll have the antitrust division at the Justice Department or maybe the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, at least look into this, have hearings, mm-hmm. uh, gather evidence. But since it's going to be a privately held company and since I don't see any true antitrust competition on pricing, things like that, it'll be a tough case to make. But, you know, with a deal this big, Washington will look at it. Greg Valier didn't know when he woke up this morning he was going to be a Twitter analyst on an international broadcast, but I, you know, I had to get your two cents on this. Uh, after we heard uh, from Senator Elizabeth Warren on Sunday morning TV, at least two shows. Is that a half Ginsburg, by the way? I asked somebody that this morning, and they had no idea what I was talking about, which is why I realized that I am getting too old. But uh, uh, just, yeah, not a full Ginsburg. That's all five shows. Now, I'd love to hear uh, what Senator Warren said and then get your response to Mm -hmm. this, Greg, because this is kind of a call to action 200 days out from the midterms. Here's Elizabeth Warren. We've got nearly 200 days left between now and the election, and there are families who are trying to make the decision at the checkout line which groceries to send back because they can't afford them. There are millions of people across this country who are saying they are not ready for student loan payments to be turned back on. They simply can't afford them. There are millions of people across this country who say that prices at the pump, prices at uh, to try to buy a pound of hamburger have all gone up and they need help. So she got all the greatest hits, prices at the pump, the price of hamburger. Um, But this was a a, a 200 day warning, I guess we can say, from from the the progressive point of view, still banging the drum on inflation, though, Greg, just like Republicans are. Yeah, you've got to look at the progressive agenda and you've got to conclude, to be fair, that most of it has failed. Defund the police, uh, minimum tax, uh, Medicare for all. There are all these very expensive initiatives that haven't made it. And I think Joe Biden's attachment to progressives uh, last year was a negative for him. He, it precluded him from getting more done. 
Well, and of course, he hasn't been speaking that language uh, himself. And it's interesting to see the senator uh, from Massachusetts weigh in here, knowing that there could be some difficult results coming in November, Greg. She she weighed in on that as well, uh, but also allowed for the possibility of Democrats to maintain control. That's that's not mm-hmm. in your crystal ball, is it? No, but I, I would say this, Joe. I think this was a shot from Elizabeth Warren to Bernie Sanders, basically saying, don't even think about running at the age of 83 or 84. I think Warren feels this could be her turn. And I think that was a a not too subtle shot at Bernie. Imagine Warren, Trump, Greg Valliere, you'd show up for that. (laughs) Indeed, every day. I felt like uh, Tom Keene this morning when I read your note to clients. Check this out, the poetry from Greg. Amid the doom and gloom over geopolitics and inflation, we begin this week with a contrarian look at reasons for optimism. I love the way you started things off here, uh, Greg. I think if Tom were with me, he would ask, He would ask, what is there possibly to be optimistic about right now? You wrote that with the Dow still freshly down about 1,000 points, a war going overseas, and God knows what else. Well, thank you. Uh, There are things that are not all that negative. You've got, I think, the chance that Russia could bog down. British intelligence is uh, predicting that. You had a really strong sign of NATO unity with uh, Macron winning by 17 points. Uh, You've also got, I think, at the Fed, the fact that they do want to fight inflation. That's a good thing. I think maybe we're getting close to that being in the markets. And I'm not convinced the rates are going to go up by quite so much because of China. I think that could be a retardant to economic growth. And one final thing, Joe, the budget deficit has plunged. No one's talking about this, but the budget deficit has fallen dramatically. Still another piece of good news. And since nobody cares about the deficit one way or the other, apparently Joe Biden gets no credit for that, right? Of course not. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, revenue growth is when you point out here. Uh, you, you mentioned the Fed as well. There's been a big conversation about whether the Fed can achieve a soft landing or whether we're talking about a, a recession. If even a quick one next year, maybe it's even just one month of of uh, of negative growth. What does your forecast tell us about that? Well, obviously, uh, you have to stick with a consensus that the next two or three FOMC policy meetings, you'll get 50 basis points uh, increase. But I would argue by the fall, if the economy is starting to slow, if inflation doesn't look quite as hot, we go to 25 basis point rate hikes for the last two or three meetings of the year. I I don't think the Fed will overdo it. They know the markets are worried that the Fed could kick into a recession. I don't think the Fed will do it. So at that point, you know, we're coming off the summer. You like to think that COVID rates are pretty low. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned we just avoided a recession. Uh, Inflation is coming down a little bit. Looks like it peaked. Does that start to turn the conversation politically as well, or is it just too late for that? Probably too late. I, I, maybe if the move on inflation to downward is clear by mid to late summer, it could help Joe Biden mm-hmm. and you know, the gas pump and grocery stores. But once that attitude gets solidified, it's hard to change. And there is a belief among American voters that runaway spending has exacerbated inflation. And I would argue if you look at spending and revenues, it's a totally different story. It's a much more positive story. So in our remaining 30 seconds here, does a does a, a mini build back better happen between now and November? 
maybe a couple of things, maybe something on the environment, like pre-kindergarten for kids. Uh, mm-hmm. But it certainly isn't going to be anything great. In fact, it, Democrats wish they had taken uh, Manchin's offer of $1.5 trillion. That would Man. be nirvana. At this Seems point. like a lot of money now, doesn't it? Greg Valier with us, the chief U.S. policy strategist at AGF Investments. Always a fascinating and, in this case, optimistic conversation. How about that now for a Monday? We'll assemble the panel next. That'll make you smile, too. Rick and Jeannie are on the way on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. You do a quick news search for Twitter, as I just did on the terminal. The top headline, at least at the moment, Twitter deal is said to include reverse termination fee. These are the kind of things you have to remember as we talk about these world-changing stories like Elon Musk buying Twitter. It includes a provision, as I read, that the billionaire is required to pay the company a fee if he were to walk away or the deal falls apart, according to people familiar With the matter, Twitter's advisors negotiated for the so-called reverse breakup fee, the people said. So, you know, it's not a done deal. We'll let you know when it is. As we assemble the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis emerging from their beautiful spring weekend, it's great to have both of you guys here. Jeannie, the White House response was clearly thought out, and I'd like to go back through it for a minute uh, with you. This is Jen Psaki, as we played for you a couple of minutes ago. Uh, not going to comment on this transaction, she says, and then proceeds to you know, give you this list of, of uh, pretty interesting indications about where we might be going. That the president has long been concerned about the power of large social media platforms. She says, he has long argued tech platforms must be held accountable for the harms they cause. And then later refers to reforms to Section 230 and antitrust reform. What are we in for this year? You know, that is the not comment comment that we got from Jen Psaki. And, you know, to me, it had strong echoes of the speech we heard from Barack Obama at Stanford the other day. I mean, Barack Obama came out very publicly and said that, that he charged that online disinformation 
it exemplifies humanity's worst impulses, I think was his, um, his, his line. And disinformation, he said, puts democracy at risk. And you juxtapose that with what Elon Musk is saying, free speech, the bedrock of a functioning democracy, absolutely, and Twitter being the digital town square. How do you come together with those two points? And I think we're hearing echoes of Barack Obama's view all across the Democrats, all across the left, and certainly in the Obama administration. And I would not be surprised if we see a headlong movement, if, if, if Democrats are able into a more, you know, sort of uh, a, a discussion, if you will, if they, they're not going to have Congress probably, but if they're allowed to lead any of that towards more regulation or at least some regulation in that space. Hasn't it been Republicans, though, who have been crying about Section 230 for, for quite a lot longer? Rick, were you surprised to hear this come from the administration? And if, if they try to change this for different reasons, I wonder if that's if that's workable. Yeah, it's hard to tell what they would be willing to do or not do, especially um, assuming the the must deal goes through. And you're right. Republicans have been screaming about Section 230 because they really think that the social media platforms have carved out their own censorship and have have been uh, diminishing the conservative voices across Mm -hmm. these platforms. And so uh, if you believe what Elon Musk is telling us today, uh, he's basically (laughs) going to let everybody to have have their say and try to do less. Uh, quote, censorship on his own, which uh, it's very hard to decide how this is all going to play out. And uh, and and yet I, I do think the administration showed their hand by throwing out a very tough statement pre-deal uh, on uh, on Elon Musk's transaction with Twitter. You've put together your share of deals, uh, Rick. Was that uh, was that response that I mentioned to have the the, the fee built in? a reverse termination fee just because they're dealing with a volatile personality? No, I mean, it's not too unusual with major public markets deals, especially those that might be on a go private basis. And yeah. and, and because it, it is going to hurt the company if this deal doesn't go through. Uh, and so the company needs some uh, uh, way to recapture uh, that, that kind of impact if it does happen. So mm-hmm. Uh, I, I break up fees like that are not uh, unusual. Uh, probably this one is going to be in the historical size yeah, okay. uh, because of the size of the transaction. But uh, otherwise, business as usual on Wall Street. What's more likely as we kind of look down the next couple of months or even years uh, under this Biden administration, uh, Jeannie, is it antitrust or, or is it managing Section 230, managing the liabilities or the protection from liabilities for these companies? You know, I think they should pursue Section 230 myself. I'm not sure that they will do that, but I think that would be the wiser of the two moves. They may go full throttle on both fronts, but again, you know, they are going to need bipartisan support to do anything. And this gulf between Democrats and Republicans on this issue is very fascinating. And we have every reason to believe that Elon Musk believes what conservatives have been saying, which that social media has been de-emphasizing their voices and emphasizing liberal voices. He's made he made it clear that he wants to create a balance there and allow everybody to speak freely. Um, So, you know, whether conservatives, in fact, are still as gung ho on regulation as they have been in the past is going to be a big question, I think, going forward. Rick, what kind of a lobbying people are asking, you know, who's going to be the CEO? What kind of a lobbying operation, a Washington operation will Elon Musk need to have here if this goes through? 
Well, we pretty much know he's not going to have the current CEO, who he called uh, a Joseph Stalin type figure at one point in time. So, yeah, my Fair. guess is that deal's not going to get done for him. But uh, look, I, I think that uh, there there are already huge lobbying campaigns in Washington, both mm -hmm. around Section two hundred and thirty and and impact on you know uh, teens, and and there's just a, a a laundry list of issues that affect. Uh, big tech. And of course, how does the new Twitter get along with other big techs like uh, Amazon and Apple and those that are already in the hot hot seat in Congress? Fascinating. Be a help wanted sign, I, I suspect, on the, the legislative liaison office at Twitter. But we'll see as we spend time with Rick and Jeannie on a Monday. And we'll bring in Brett Bruin next as we turn to geopolitics. There is more than Elon happening today as we cast our view to Ukraine on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. So as I mentioned, uh, some pretty high-powered officials, when we, when we consider the idea, well, we might send a U.S. official to Ukraine. We weren't thinking the Secretary of Defense or State, for that matter, but both showed up together on Sunday, generating some pretty remarkable headlines, the first of them from Antony Blinken of State, saying that diplomats are going to be on their way back. U.S. diplomats will come back from Poland and head back into Ukraine uh, starting in the coming days. Here he is. Part of our commitment going forward involves a number of things that I was able to share with President Zelensky yesterday, including the return of American diplomats to Ukraine starting next week. Starting next week. I guess they'll start in Lviv and then eventually work their way into other parts of the country. Imagine a situation with the U.S. Embassy reopening in Kyiv. Uh, the Secretary of Defense, as I mentioned, was also there. Lloyd Austin helping to generate this headline on the terminal, USC's major depletion of Russian forces. I love this uh, angle on the story here. Not only are they showing up, you know, in a, a show of solidarity, but letting us know. Uh, and this is, by the way, a State Department official who briefed reporters on condition of anonymity. Russia now facing a significant depletion of its hardware and its forces in Ukraine, both hardware and human, as the war drags on and Russian production lines confront shortages of components and parts. Listen to Secretary of Defense Austin, not only on the fact that we're, we're you know, we're knocking them pretty hard, or Ukraine is using our hardware, but the idea from here is to keep them down. Here's Secretary Austin. We want to see Russia... Uh... Uh, weakened uh, to the degree that it can't uh, do the kinds of things that uh, it has done uh, in, in invading Ukraine. It has already lost a lot of military capability uh, and a lot of, uh, a lot of its troops, quite frankly. And uh, we want to see them not have the capability to very quickly reproduce that capability. Let's bring in Brett Bruin of the Global Situation Room, president and former director of global engagement at the White House. Uh, it's great to have you back Brett, thanks for being here. Is this a turning point for Ukraine in that more people are talking about not just holding off Russia or maybe Kyiv will still be standing, but in fact winning this war? Well, you heard that yesterday from State Department spokesperson Ned Price, who suggested that Russia is losing. And that was an important change in what we were hearing out of Washington, which, you know, previously had, if you will, been pretty circumspect when it came to the Ukrainians' prospects. But uh, there was a level of confidence that was exuded both by Secretaries Austin as well as Blinken and echoed here in Washington. So I think uh, they are clearly seeing on the battlefield that 
things have taken a turn for the worst for the Russian military. We know that they cannot get supplies to to fix tanks, to replace hardware that's sitting on the side of the road somewhere north of Kiev. Uh, where, where does Russia go now in terms of reinforcing? If there's some major onslaught, as we keep hearing to the east, regrouping and shaping, where are they getting the hardware from? Well, you know, a lot of the listeners here at Bloomberg Radio will be familiar with supply chain challenges. Indeed. And this is perhaps one of the biggest supply chain challenges because they're cut off from most manufacturers. They're cut off from getting access to financing. And so this is a real quagmire for the Kremlin and one that I'm not certain they had figured a way out of when this conflict began. So for Putin, it is going to be extraordinarily difficult. And I think what we're likely to see are, one, what is already being witnessed uh, on the battlefield in the last few days, which is just throwing everything in the kitchen sink, no matter how inaccurate it is, just really for a show of force. But ultimately, I think they're going to have to scale back their ambition. To the east and south, as we're hearing, or something smaller than that? I think even something smaller than that. I don't know that just based on some of the reports that we're getting in the last few days, you know, British intelligence has been doing these daily public updates, that the Russians are advancing much. Uh, They're certainly firing an awful lot, but we're seeing cases where the Ukrainians have been able to counterattack, where the Russians are losing ground. So I think the Russians are going to struggle to hold on to territory because it is not just this notion, and and we heard in the last few days of, you know, this land grab uh, strategy that Putin have. The problem being you've got to not only grab it, you've got to hold on to it, and the Russians haven't proven they can do that. Well, they certainly haven't, and uh, a lot of folks are wondering if, you know, there's going to be at some point an off-ramp to the negotiating table here, uh, or is that simply not in Vladimir Putin's nature, Brett? Well, he is projecting, and we heard from the FT just in the last uh, couple of days, that Putin is saying, I'm done with diplomacy, and we're going to settle this thing on the battlefield. But you've got to take Putin's comments with a big bag of salt, because he often says one thing and, and means or does another thing. This is one of those cases. And ultimately, I think Putin is going to be forced into a position where he is going to have to find some sort of settlement. Otherwise, he risks, and we've seen uh, cases where Russia itself, oil tanks on the Russian side of the border are getting attacked. That's going to really put Putin in a difficult spot. Well, it sure is. Uh, and hopefully keep the U.S. out of a different spot. It was only a couple of weeks ago we were starting to talk about a much more meaningful uh, conversation with Chris Coons, for instance, is saying, you know, maybe it's time to start putting troops back on the table. It does feel to me, Brett, like things have really kind of turned in the last, you know, four or five days. Well, I, I would caution only that obviously there remains the nuclear option, and that's one we've got yeah. to work to avoid to make clear to Putin how costly it would be for him. But secondly, let's not forget that Russia is going to be asymmetric in how they respond. We've got to be on the lookout for other kinds of attacks. Brett Bruin, always a great conversation. The Global Situation Room president, veteran of the Obama White House, where he was director of global engagements. The panel next. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. 
Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The judge made the decision verbally during a status conference Monday. I read in the story from Bloomberg government, we've got a breaker here, we've got a screamer. The Biden administration must hold off on plans to end Title 42. This just broke on the terminal. Biden's move to end border expulsions faces setback in court. I should say so. U.S. District Court for the Western District of Louisiana granting a request from a multi-state coalition to temporarily preserve Title 42. Again, this is not an immigration policy, but it affects the border. It's a COVID pandemic policy that they got in effect during the Trump administration to keep the country safe from COVID. And here we are still arguing about this in April of 2022. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick and Jeannie are with us. Bloomberg Politics contributors, our signature panel, better be here for a day like this. We didn't know this was coming, although maybe we knew it was coming at some point. To think that the courts would step in here, uh, Rick Davis, is that what the administration was hoping for? You know, it just sounds like more confusion for the administration. So, uh, you know, it's 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 they've really bungled their immigration policy. They went out after the remain in Mexico policy early. Now this Title 42 has been lifted. Uh, and uh, and and it just seems like they haven't really focused on what the impact is at the state level. They didn't consult states that are impacted by the border. And, and now the whole thing seems to be adding a lot of confusion, frankly, very reminiscent of the current COVID policy, where there just mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be a strategy in play here. Well, here we go again, Jeannie. Uh, does this at least give the White House cover? You know, I'm saying this in a sort of counterintuitive sense, but it was unclear what they were going to do. Uh, When this lifted at the end of May, Elizabeth Warren yesterday morning suggested that the White House was coming up with contingency plans. They just bought themselves some time. To, to that or extent, someone bought them time. Yeah, the judge brought them some time. To that extent, it is a gift for the Biden administration. But what we understand is that they, the White House, was fully prepared to try to defend the removal of this Title Forty Two. As Rick mentioned, this is something that has been really troubling for particularly Democrats on border states, but not just on border states. You look at the mess that Maggie Hassan got in going to the border, and she got hit from people both on the left and the 
the right for that visit. So it is a fraught issue for Democrats running this election cycle, as it is every election cycle. And, you know, I think one of the things that's gotten the Biden administration tripped up here, quite frankly, is they keep it saying this is a matter of public health, not politics. Mm. It is a matter of public health, but it's also politics. And what's tripping them up is you can't divorce the two. And what's happened now is we have moved into an era where we have judges, unelected judges, courts deciding public policy. That's not the way it should be. It should be Congress. It should be the administration. They must stop claiming this is something for the CDC. This is a political decision and should be treated that way. Rick, I know this is not a new story for you. Uh, John McCain uh, obviously sought a bipartisan deal, struck one on on comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, if, if this kind of thing is not the catalyst for a bigger conversation, uh, is it ever going to happen? Yeah, I think it's a really good point, Joe, because uh, all these things taken in a vacuum uh, don't really make any sense to the American voters. I mean, and, and it certainly sends the wrong signals to the border. I mean, there's an argument that the Biden administration entered into this process to say, come one, come all. And they now have a massive border crisis that seems to be going unattended. Now they're getting uh, locked into a legal battle that is leaving them even fewer options. So maybe a step back and uh, certainly I don't think anything's going to happen in this election year uh, with all the heated debate on immigration. Mm -hmm. But maybe after that, at the end of a one-term policy (laughs) uh, initiative, they could maybe try to get something passed on immigration reform, which is desperately needed. We need jobs to be filled. We need border security. And all those things have to work together. Maybe after the midterms, a grown-up conversation, Jeannie, or am I just being cute? Um, You know, I I wish it were so, but as you look back, this issue goes back. Let's just, you know, think about George W. Bush was elected Mm -hmm. to address this issue. He wasn't able to do so. Barack Obama so frustrated, he took the pen and issued an executive order in DACA. This has been going on for decades. Donald Trump ran on fixing this issue, left it unaddressed. And I would love to think that after the midterm it would be addressed. But can you imagine if Republicans control Congress and and Biden, the White House, that they're going to get any deal on something as fraught as immigration? I wish I could say yes, but I am not optimistic. Well, so let's talk reality just for a moment before we move on, uh, Rick Davis. What do you advise the president to do here? I mean, can we buy a couple of months um, and, and, and maybe hammer out at least a policy to replace Title 42, get you past the midterms so you can have a bigger conversation? Well, on a, on a recent conference call, uh, officials from the Department of uh, Homeland Security uh, indicated that they were going to ramp up the Remain in Mexico policy to offset some of the impact on Title 42. And we remember a very controversial policy of the Trump administration where we kept people in Mexico while their asylum uh, uh, cases were, were processed. And they, they can use that law uh, to be able to try and uh, stop some of the flow that would result from uh, the lifting of the Title 42. So the, the DHS department, uh, they, they get it. They understand they can't handle that flow of immigration. And so they're trying to use what rules they have available to us. But, but that, uh, it's going to be very hard for the Biden administration to resist the call from immigration activists who help elect him uh, to, to drop those, those policies also. Right. Boy, this is... This is a, a, a little foreshadowing for what we're going to be spending time talking about long past some of the current issues here 
uh, and have been, of course, for years. Uh, I don't know if you were watching uh, what was happening in Delaware over the weekend, not Wilmington, but Delaware, Ohio, uh, where where Donald Trump uh, held the latest big old rally, the Dar- Delaware County Fairgrounds. You've probably held campaign events there, Rick. Uh, and this, of course, was to hammer home and, and really kind of announce formally the endorsement of J.D. Vance in the uh, Republican Senate primary uh, the, the president, uh, former president, spent a lot of time on a lot of issues. I think J.D. Vance may have gotten the least amount of time, certainly compared to issues like water pressure, for instance. But listen to uh, Donald Trump here rolling out the candidate in Delaware, Ohio. I have to do what I have to do. We have to pick somebody that can win. And this guy is he's tough. He's smart. He's a former Marine. He's a Yale-educated lawyer, a great student, you know, went to Yale, got a law degree. He's a great student. He's a fearless MAGA fighter. thought he sounded like he was from Boston there for a minute, Jeannie. Um, (laughs) We've talked a lot about the endorsements and the amount of capital he's putting on the line here. Is this a game changer in Ohio? It, it, it's not a game changer yet. I'm going to try to try to keep that in my mind. Magafida. Magafida. Like, yeah, I can't say do the Boston accent so well, even though I live there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's not a game changer yet. But but I certainly think it could have an impact. Um, we've seen Trump so far have minimal impact. But again, it's early. I think we'll know in about six weeks. And of course, to your point, he spent much of that night talking about water and water pressure and, you know, dishwashers and his need to wash his air and flush toilets. And, you know, it was, you know, J.D. Vance got, you know, minimal amount of tension compared to water pressure. (laughs) It's we're going to prove that to you in a second. Uh, Rick, what what does this gift do uh, for J.D. Vance? Well, it's already elevated him from sort of, you know, uh, uh, challenger to uh, the front runner in this race. And mm-hmm. and it's actually not taken but a couple of weeks to do so. So uh, it's pretty extraordinary in, in the sense of uh, improving J.D. Vance's chances to win this primary. Whether it actually bears out that way or not, Jeannie's right, we'll know in just a few weeks uh when this primary is held but uh then the real campaign begins and the question is is jd vance really ready for prime time in ohio and um you know that's it's not going to do donald trump any good in the short run to win some of these primaries if 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 his candidates then get beaten the general election and so uh i think the the jury's going to be out for a while on this one welcome to the nfl jd vance uh you heard donald trump there say uh i did what i had to do I had to to pick the guy I thought could win. He went on to say, quote, he's a guy that said some bad S about me. But you know what? Every one of the others did also, unquote. And to Jeannie's point, and it's my fault I brought it up first, water pressure loomed large at this event. I'm going to let this wash over you before we say goodbye today. With more from Ohio, here's Donald Trump. So you're sitting there washing your hands. Hey, come on, water, come out, baby. I want to wash my... I got rid of it. Same thing with showers. I'd go into a shower, and I'd go to a hotel that was new, and I said, I can't stay in these places. Why? The water just drips out a little bit slowly. I want to take good care of my hair. I don't want that. No, it's true. I mean, I put the soap in. It takes you 20 minutes to have the water come out to get the damn soap out of your hair. It's like 16 all over again. But, uh, and I won't talk about the third element of a bathroom, because every time I do, the fake news only talks about that. But you know what I'm talking about. 
One time, two times, five times, ten times. Oh, God. You can't make it up, but it just never is less interesting. He did, by the way, you remember the rules that he introduced to exempt dishwashers, washing machines, dryers from efficiency regulations. I can't speak to the other one. Thank God it's only Monday. Hey, I'll see you early if you're up on surveillance and back here on Sound On tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.